We have some fun agadot today that are related to the halacha and the mishnah. That if someone says, I'm not going to have wine until kaitz, we saw that kaitz, which usually means summer, is pretty much synonymous with the fig harvest. And therefore, if someone says, that's the section that we're starting with, someone says, until the summer has passed, or until the fig harvest has passed, then he cannot drink wine until the knives are uh, collected, folded, or put away in storage. So the knives that they use to, um, to harvest the figs, when they're mostly harvested and most people already put away their, their, their knives, that means it's come to an end. You don't have to wait till every last farmer puts away his knife. Right, there's still going to be a few a few people lagging behind that are just picking off a few last uh, figs, <clears throat> but uh, the end is when the majority of the farmers have put away their knives. All right, Tana and that's what the Baraita says. Um, it means the majority. All right, from the Mishnah itself, might might be uh, all of them. Though the Baraita says only the majority of the knives have been put away. Another Braita Tana, Huk Pelurov Hamaksuot, Mutarot Mishum Gezel, Ufiturot Minama Asrot. Now this law that we just said regarding is the definition regarding vows. If he makes a vow, I'm not gonna have wine until the end of the fig season or the summer season, then he goes by the majority of the knives being put away. And that affects another halacha. Once the majority of the fig harvesting knives are put away, then anything left, all the figs left out in the field, become hefker. And so therefore, anyone who wants to go and take them is permitted and it's uh, it's not considered stealing. The owners, even though it's on their it's their farm and they own it, but that's it. They said I'm not going to bother. Right, just for the last few cents of the the figs that are out there, it's not worth the effort. And therefore, anyone who wants to come and take it can take it. And uh, and also, you don't they don't the a farmer the owner does not have to give maaser. You only have to give maaser to the levim. If I own it, right? If I'm the farmer and I own it, I have to give maaser um, because the, my, the levim didn't get any land, so I have to share with them. But anything that is hefker, so then that's open for everybody. Everybody, the levi, along with anybody else, can come and take whatever they want. And so therefore, I'm not obligated to take maaser on something that is hefker. So these two laws that there's no stealing and there's no maaser go hand in hand. And here we come to the stories. Rabbi Rabbi Yosef Bar Rabbi Yehuda. So these two sages, Rebiuda Nasi and Rebiose, they went to a certain place and already most of the knives have, were put away. So Rebi is following the halacha that we just mentioned, that there's no stealing, so you're allowed to, um, to eat it. We assume that the farmers are fine with it uh, because they're not going to go harvest them. So Rebi's eating, he's enjoying the figs. But Rabbi Yosei was more stringent. He wouldn't eat. And then the farmer, the owner of the field, came and said, How come the sages aren't eating? Directing his question to Rabbi Yosei, who was not eating. And the farmer, he knows, knows his halacha. He's like as if teaching the rabbis halacha. And he said, all right, we put away. I'm sure they knew they, they, he knew that they knew the halacha. Maybe he's just clarifying that. I already put away the knives. And so, uh, and most people did. Therefore, you're allowed to eat. 
אף על פי כן לא להאכיל רבי יוסי בר רבי יהודה כסבר משום שניות מלטהו דקאמר הדן גברה. Nevertheless, even though the farmer came and said clearly, right, it's okay, uh, nevertheless רבי יוסי did not eat because he thought that maybe this farmer is only saying that this out of embarrassment um, because he already he sees the Buddhanasi already eating so he wants to come out and kind of be be gracious because uh, um, uh, the already started eating but maybe he was not fully sincere maybe he didn't really fully want to give away all these uh, these figs that are out there and he was planning to go and harvest them and so now he's only uh, out of shame he's saying okay fine kind of reluctantly and so that's why the Biyose did not, even though he said it explicitly, did not trust that he was full sincere. So the Biyose wanted to be more stringent and not even uh, uh, um, violate the possibility of stealing. But the Biyose said, no, that's the halacha. The bear put them away, so it's permitted. It's a story. I mean, it's interesting. You have your halacha and a story. And sometimes, like in this story, uh, the, 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 the story shows how someone goes above and beyond the law. And so you have the two sages that are giving the two sides, right? The letter of the law is permitted. If you want to go above and beyond the law and be stringent, and then that's also a possibility. So another story about Rabbi Chama. Um, the son of Rabbi Hanina, he went to a certain place, and the line, knives had, most of the knives had been put, had been put away. So the rabbi himself, he was eating. He had an attendant with him. He, he gave some to the attendant, but the attendant would not eat. So the, the, the rabbi told his uh, assistant, no, I have a tradition from Rabbi Ishmael that this is permitted once you put the knives away. Then there's no problem of stealing, and you don't have to give ma'aseh, so go ahead, you can eat it. All right, we don't have the rest of the story. Um, I, I assume that the attendant that said, then said, oh, thank you for teaching me that, and then he went ahead and ate. Unless maybe the attendant wanted to be um, uh, very stringent, like Rabbi Yosef and the rest in the other story. And now... A kind of well, funny slash tragic story. Um, the the bitarfan uh, was went to someone's field and was eating the figs, and the owner saw him doing it. So this Hau Gabra, he's the owner of the field. Um, at a time when most of the knives were put away, he sees a bitafon, the kachil, and he says, bitafon's eating the figs. The owner of the field. Uh, went, grabbed the bitarfon, stuffed him into a sack, and carried him uh, to the river, and he was about to throw the bitarfon into the river because the owner of the field didn't want the, this guy eating uh, his figs, and he was so upset that he was about to drown the bitarfon. So the bitarfon in the sack um, says, Woe to him, to Tarfan, that this person is killing him. Right? So in the sack he's saying, Oh no, I'm about to die. But he refers to himself in the third person. Right? So woe is to Tarfan that this guy's about to kill him. Shama hu gabra The guy heard him. He says, "Oh, this is Rabbi Tarfon. Oh no, that you know the chief rabbi of the whole of the whole community. I just put in a sack and about to throw him in the river. So he leaves the sack and runs away. He's embarrassed. Not even to you know. Not it doesn't even take him out of the sack." 
אמר רבי אבו משום רבי חנינה בן גמליאל, כל ימיו של אותו צדיק היה מסתער על דבר זה, אמר אוי לי שנשתמשתי בחיתרה של תורה. So רבי טרפון managed to get out of the sack, but רבי טרפון felt bad about this incident, and all the rest of his life of this righteous person, רבי טרפון, he was distressed and he would say, just like he said, אוי לא, referring to himself, he still said, אוי לי, woe is to me that I used the crown of Torah. In other words, he had and he announced himself and used his reputation as a Torah scholar in order to save his life. And you should not use the, your, your Torah knowledge for personal benefit. Even though it was to save his life, he was about to be drowned. Gemara is going to ask about that. But in general, um, the Torah is, should be done for its own sake, for, the, for its holiness, for, for teaching, for doing, and not to, not to show how great I am and get personal benefit from the Torah. And therefore, he was uh, distressed that he did this. אמר רבא בר בר חנא, אמר רבי יוחנן, כל המשתמש בחצרה של תורה נעקר מן העולם. And now we're going to have a few statements about this. Anyone who makes use of the crown of the Torah for any personal benefit will be uprooted from the world. קו החומן, how do we learn this? ומה בלשעשה שנשתמש בכלי קודש, שנעשו כלי חול, שנאמר ובאו בה פריצים וחיללוה. בלשעשר, that Babylonian king. who once used the vessels of the Bet HaMikdash um, in, uh, that were made already non-sacred. As the Pasuk says that uh, robbers came in and they took, the, they stole the Kelim of the Bet HaMikdash and Chileluha profaned it. Now in the Peshat, this just means that they profaned, right? They desecrated the Bet HaMikdash and desecrated the vessels. But we're taking Chilidua in a technical halachic sense to mean that they're no longer Kodesh. Once someone steals the Kelim, the vessels of the Bet HaMikdash, takes them home, although that's a terrible sin, but then those vessels no longer have holiness. And yet, we know the famous story of Belshazzar, who made a feast, and in the feast he was using The, uh, the vessels of the Bet HaMikdash and the writing on the wall came and said, right, your days are numbered. And he was destroyed. He was taken. He was killed um, that very night. And so we see if someone who takes vessels that are, used to be holy but are no longer holy and uses them for personal benefit, that person is removed from the world. So, כיוון שפרסום נעשו חול, נעקר מן העולם, תכתיב, בא הבלליה כתיל בלשעשר. So, once a person steals them, they're no longer, they're חול, they're no longer sacred, and if he uses them, he's removed from the world, as it says in regarding בלשעשר, and that very night, he was killed. So, קל וחומר, המשתמש בחיתרה של תורה, שהוא חי וקיים לעולם, על אחת כמה וכמה, someone who uses the Torah for personal benefit, and the Torah is live and, uh, and, uh, um, and exists forever and never gets, and never becomes non-sacred. And someone who uses the Torah, which is sacred forever for himself, all the more so, how, how much more uh, important Torah is from just ves- temple vessels. And so therefore, this is why Rabbi Tarfon was so upset.
ורבי טלפון, כיוון דכי אכיל דהוקבלו רוב המקצועות הבא, אמי שערה הוא גברה. Now go back, to get back to the story. We have a question first on the farmer and then רבי טלפון. First, in the case of רבי טלפון, since he was eating at a time when most of the knives were put away. So he was doing this in a permitted way. Why was the farmer so upset that he went and, and uh, put him in a, in a bag and tried to kill him? משום דאהבה תאהו הבו גנבה לענבה כולה שתה וכיוון דאשכחל רבי טלפון סבר היינו דיג נבן because it just happened to be being at the wrong place at the wrong time there were people or someone who was stealing grapes from this farmer all year round and so when this when the farmer saw רבי טלפון he assumed that's the that's the robber he's the one that has been stealing all year round and so he's, he went and put him in the bag because he was so upset and finally he caught him, he wanted to kill him. Uh, so that, that's, that's the reason. But really, if, uh, if not for that, if it was only that Rabbi Tarfon came at that time, it was permitted, then the farmer would not have, uh, would not have had a problem. Okay, if this is the case, uh, really Rabbi Tarfon did nothing wrong. And now he's been, his life is being endangered for, for, and he's completely innocent. Why was he so upset? What, he should die rather than uh, announce himself and, and save his life? And the answer is because the Bitalfon was very rich and he could have appeased the farmer with money. So he could have saved his life in another way. He could have said, hey, I'll give you a million dollars if you let me go. Oh, a million dollars, fine, uh, then I'll let you go. And he didn't have to use his reputation as a Torah scholar. So therefore, he, didn't, he used his um, Torah, his Torah uh, 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 um, uh, reputation really for, to save money, right? Because not to save his life, because he could have gotten away um, by saving his life through giving, for, through, through, through money. אוקיי, תניא, להבה את השם אלוקיך לשמוע בקולו ולדוב כבו. What do we learn from this פסוק? that we should love Hashem and uh, listen and heed His uh, voice and cling to Him. A person should never learn and say to himself, I'll read so that people will call me smart. I will learn Mishnah, oral law, so people will call me a rabbi. I will study further so that when I'm, I'll be an elder and I'll sit in yeshiva, um, and then people will come and say, oh, see this elder, right? look how great he is. You should never do any of this for personal benefit or reputation or for honor. Rather, the first, the beginning of Pasuk says, You should learn out of love. This is Hashem's Torah I gave you. I love it. I want to learn it. And don't worry about the honor. The honor will come as a byproduct. But you don't need to, that should not be your goal. As Pasuk says, you should bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. They should be in your heart, in your mind, and not to show off to everybody else. If you look at the Pesukim inside, you'll see that the order is not the way that Ashkenazim sing it when they put the Torah back. 
in the Adon, right? First is Derecheha and then Eschayim. And so what the Midrash is learning from here is its ways are pleasant and therefore you should learn Torah for its own sake, right? It's, it's, it's so beautiful. Um, it's all its ways are peace. And it also will bring life and bring happiness and bring glory, right? Bring all kinds of good things with it. Um, but uh, right at, at first, the, the basic thing is one should love God. And therefore, if you love God, don't you want to listen to his voice? Don't you want to cling to him? How do you cling to him? By, by learning more about his Torah. Rabbi Eliezer, Bar Rabbi Sadok Omer, Aseh Devarim L'Shem Pa'olam, V'edaber Bahem Lishmam, Al Ta'asem Ataral Yitgadel Bahem, V'al Ta'asem Kordom Liot Oder Bo. What a beautiful teaching. One should always do good actions for the sake of their performance, not for anything, not for any other thing that's going to happen so that people will give me gratitude or honor or an award. Just do the good deed for the sake of the performance that this good deed will be done. And uh, speak about Torah for their own sake because the Torah is itself good. Not because it leads to some anything else. It's good in and of itself. And don't uh, do things, um, uh, don't make the Torah a crown to make yourself more glorified, and don't make them a, uh, here, like an X, uh, in order to hoe, right, when you're hoeing, so that's how you um, hoe, the, hoe the, the land to earn a livelihood. Do not, Torah should not be used as a way, as a means, to earn a livelihood. And you should not benefit monetarily. From the study of Torah. And this is referring to the same Kalvachomer, but we just saw that Belshazzar, the king, he used only the temple vessels that were already profaned, and yet he using something that used to be holy for personal benefit, and he was killed that very night, all the more so someone who uses Torah, which is holy forever and ever, all the more so deserves to be uprooted. Rava gives an exception. Um, right? In general, you should not use your, your glory or reputation. However, if you're in a place that nobody knows you, uh, then a person is allowed to announce himself and say, you know, I am Chacham uh, uh, this. I am knowledgeable in a place where he's not known. Um, uh, so that people will, will recognize him. Uh, how do we know that this is permitted? From the Pasuk in Kings, um, uh, uh, your servant, I have feared, uh, I have feared Hashem uh, since my youth. Okay, the context is a fantastic story um, about uh, Ovadia, the prophet, uh, who's uh, one of the last prophets after Achav kills all the prophets. And uh, now Achav is looking for Eliyahu Hanavi. So Achav, the evil king, tells Ovadiahu, uh, listen, would you mind? Uh, go and look for Eliyahu Hanavi. And so he's walking and on the way, and all of a sudden Eliyahu comes. And Eliyahu Hanavi uh, tells Ovadiah, go tell, um, uh, go tell uh, Achav that Eliyahu is here. And Ovadiah 
poor guy. He says, what did I do bad to you that you're sending me on this mission? I know you, Eliyahu. You're here one minute and you're gone the next, right? And I'm going to go. Um, uh, uh, he's looking for you all over the place. And um, he says... Uh, I'm going to leave you now, and I know some wind is going to take you, Eliyahu, up to who knows where, and I'm going to be going to, I'm going to go to Achav, and he says, oh, I found Eliyahu Navi. he's coming now, and then you're not going to show up, and then Achav is going to kill me, you're sending me on a suicide mission, and do I deserve to be on a, to be killed? Uh, and here, and this is where he says, your servant, Abdecha, Yaret Hashem, I always feared God. So here is where he's professing, Avadjah is professing that he is Yeresh Shamayim, that he is a good guy, and he doesn't deserve to be killed because Eliyahu is going to disappear and send him on the suicide mission. We see from here that a person is permitted to announce something good about himself uh, in order to, to um, so that people will recognize it. Maybe he didn't know. Um, so, I mean, over here, it sounds like Eliyahu actually knew who he was, that he's, uh, he's an important person. He's of Ajao uh, uh, himself is a Navi. Um, but anyway, we're learning from here that if, 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 if needed, if you're in a place where nobody knows who you are and you are a Tamid Chacham, you're allowed to say, listen, my Tamid Chacham, you know, maybe they'll come, they'll invite you to give a shiur, right? You know, you want people to know so that they can um, uh, treat the person respectfully and uh, benefit from them. Okay, so we see that, in fact, in fact, it is permitted. And hold on, Rava, we have a challenge to you because Rabbi Tarfan, this farmer didn't know he was a great sage, and yet Rabbi Tarfan said, I am he, but Rabbi Tarfan was uh, upset about it his whole life. How come Rabbi Tarfan was upset that he used the crown of Torah if Rava said, you're allowed to announce that you are a, a great sage in a place uh, where nobody knows it? And the answer is, once again, the same as we answered before, because Rabbi Tarfon was so rich, so he should have saved his life by paying a lot of money and did not have to use the crown of Torah. Um, but if you're in a situation where uh, one needs to use it, then uh, that, that uh, sage is allowed to announce that he is. Now, Rava himself, he's the one that gave this permission that you're allowed to announce yourself. But he himself had a question. One from the Pasuk we just read in Sefer Melachim, uh, where Ovajah says, right, uh, announces that he is a Yeresh Shamayim and he, therefore he deserves to be saved. But another Pasuk in Mishle says uh, that let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, right? You shouldn't get up and say, oh, I am so-and-so, here was all my credentials, here was all my accomplishments. Let someone else do it. Like, you know, whenever someone goes, you have a, a public, gives a, a public speech, you have someone else give the introduction. Oh, we're about to hear from this guy. He's a great Tamit Chacham. Right? Let someone else give a praise. It's not, 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 uh, not good manners to pray one, praise oneself. So how come Ovadja didn't get someone else to praise him? And the answer is, It depends where you are. If you're in a place where there are other people that know you, then you should always get get a letter of recommendation, right? Bring that friend along to introduce you to um, whoever you whoever doesn't know you. And better to get someone else to do it. But if you're in a place where nobody knows you at all, then um, it's permitted to go and say, um, "Listen, all right, I am this person. I studied this much. 
And that way, because uh, it is important for people to know if they have no idea. So adding another exception to the rule where a Torah scholar is permitted to announce himself. And he's, he, uh, he's allowed to come and say, listen, I am a Torah scholar, and therefore allow me to resolve my case first. So if he comes to a Din, and there's a line of people in the waiting room, right? A lot of people are going to resolve their, uh, their, their conflicts in the front of the Din. He could say, listen, I'm a, I'm a sage. I'm allowed to skip to the front of the line. Now, how do we know that? Um, because we learned that the Tamit uh, Chacham is like a Kohen, and the Kohen always goes first. Uh, we, how do we know that? Because the Pasuk, when it's listing all of the officers in the, the David's cabinet, says the sons of David were Kohanim. Now, how could this be? Uh, uh, we're going to ask a second. So, now, the sons of David were not Kohanim, right? They're not from the tribe of Levi. They're from the tribe of Yehuda. And so they weren't actually literally Kohanim. What this Pasuk means is that the Bnei David were treated like Kohanim. Just like Kohanim, they get to get the first pick um, of the portions that are given out. So to Atamid Hacham, he gets to pick first. How do we know that the Kohen always gets the preferential treatment and always gets to go first? Because the Pasuk says, make him holy because he is offering the bread of Hashem. He offers the sacrifices. So we have to sanctify the Kohen. What does that mean? Anytime there's something that has to do with sanctity, the Kohen should get preferential treatment. When it comes to Torah reading, the Kohen gets the first Aliyah. And uh, when it comes to Birkat Amazon, the Kohen gets to uh, lead the Birkat Amazon. And to uh, about taking a first portion, when uh, portions are, are, are distributed, the Kohen gets to uh, choose first. And therefore, um, since the sons of David are compared to Kohanim, they also get the preferential treatment. They're doing important work. They've got to go study Torah. Gotta, they have to teach, they have to lead the congregation, they have to do a lot of things, and therefore um, they are allowed to go to the head of the line in the Bet Din. Rava continues with another law that uh, sages, when the sages are allowed to uh, um, announce themselves for, for some benefit, it's permitted for a Torah scholar to get out of paying taxes. Uh, say, oh, I'm a Torah scholar, and I don't have to pay taxes. Uh, the kargad, these the head tax. How do we know this? Well, it says in the book of Ezra, uh, regarding anyone who is working in the Bet HaMikdash, the Kohanim and the Leviim, it says he's making the law. Ezra, he's the uh, Persian governor, and so he can make the law for the land. And so his law of the land is that those who are working in the Bet HaMikdash, um, we cannot impose on them these three types of taxes. Minda, um, Belo, and Halach. Well, what are these three things? Oh, Minda is something that goes to the king. Special tax, the king's portion that he gets on special occasions. Belo uh, is the same as Karga. That's the head tax. Every single person has to pay a certain amount. 
And halach is arnona, which means a, a labor tax, either with animals or oneself. You have to go and work and uh, do this thing, uh, work your, your own body. You have to go and uh, do labor for the king. Uh, this was Ezra's rule that those who are working in the Bet HaMikdash are exempt from it. Now, even though, as I said about those who work in the Bet HaMikdash, the rabbis are applying it to the rabbis, because after the Bet HaMikdash is destroyed, they are no longer around. So who are the new spiritual leaders, uh, teachers, uh, protectors of the Torah? So those are the Tamidei Chachamim. Therefore, they, um, they get uh, a, a special exemption that they, um, uh, they do not have to pay these types of taxes. Okay, even in America, there's parsonage uh, rules uh, for, uh, for clergy, for rabbis, Chazanim too. Um, that are exempt from these taxes, recognizing that they're doing uh, good public work. So, if even in America that's considered fair, uh, certainly in uh, in Israel and ancient Israel. Um, okay, this word, by the way, halach, that uh, the word halach means a labor tax. Some th- some people think that this is the origin of the word halacha. Right, halacha, meaning Jewish law, we usually think it means the path, right? This is the proper path to go on. Halacha, you should follow the law. Uh, but this is a, a different derivation, uh, would be from here that it means a, 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 a labor tax or an obligation that has to do with one's own body. Uh, so this is the halacha that we perform is the tax, the responsibility that we are expected to perform for the king, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Um, so that's a, a different derivation and an interesting um, way of conceptualizing what the halacha is. Another uh, leniency that Ava brings, remember the, the main rule was, you're not allowed to use uh, Torah for any personal benefit, uh, but in these certain cases it's permitted. And so here a, 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 a Tamid Chacham is permitted to say to a tax collector, I am a worshiper of fire and therefore I'm exempt from the head tax. We're talking about in in Bavel, in Sasanian Persia, the uh, major religion was Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrians worship fire, and so their priests are fi- literally fire worshippers. And in the in Persia, the the priests Zoroastrian priests were exempt from a head tax. That was that that was their law. That was their form of. Uh, of uh, a parsonage uh, that the IRS gives here. And now, this is not fair that a, a fire worshiper, a Zoroastrian priest, doesn't have to pay tax, but a Jewish uh, rabbi does have to pay tax. So since it's not fair, Dava said, if the tax collector comes to you, you're allowed to say, oh, I'm a fire worshiper. I don't have to pay. Now, is this lying? Technically not. Um, it's not technically lying because, after all, Hashem is referred to as Esh Ochela. So we worship Hashem, and Hashem is compared to a fire. So it's true, we do worship Hashem. Now, even though this is still kind of a lie because the person is understanding a different thing than you mean, nevertheless, it's permitted because you're, the reason you're saying it is to chase a lion away from him. This guy, this tax collector, is is uh, treating people unfairly. This person, he takes taxes. He's taking um, taxes unfairly from Jews. And so, therefore, to get to chase away a lion, can you say a white lie to save your life? It's permitted. 
Can you say a white life to get out of an unfair tax system? That also is permitted. Okay, we have to remember the context here um, in the Persian Empire, which was very different from any modern, modern America or modern Israel or modern Western countries that um you know do not that that are that uh are fair and so no one should use this as an excuse to not pay taxes in the modern country okay and one last uh law exceptional law uh it has to do with zoroastrian uh the zoroastrians Ravashe had a forest uh full of trees and he sold it to Temple to fire worshippers. He sold it to Zoroastrians. These are pagans of the Abu Dazara. How are they? How is he allowed to do that? You're violating putting a stumbling block before the blind because you're selling them this wood. They're going to take this wood. They're going to make fire and worship it. And it's you're, you know, you're indirectly responsible. permitted. Most wood is used just to make fires, just to keep warm or to cook, whatever for permitted things. And so it's very, it's it's only a small minority of wood that they're actually going to use for idolatry, and therefore I don't have to worry about about it. I can assume that whatever I'm selling them, they're using for non-idolatrous uses. All right, that's an important story. I will begin the next Mishnah. Ad hakasir ad sheyatchila amliksor kasir hatin. Now talking about the harvest, harvest of grain uh, is the word what the is word what the word kasir means. So what does that mean? If someone says I'm not going to have wine until the kasir, that means until the people begin to harvest the wheat, right? That's the main harvest is wheat, not barley. About locus is um okay, but not not barley because that's not the main harvest. This is the main principle. Everything follows the place where you take the vow. Right? Wherever you take the vow, that's how you have to look, you know, what's the schedule? What are they up to there? If he takes the vow in the mountain, then where, whenever time they start harvesting the wheat in the mountain, then he can have uh, grain, he cannot have wine until then. And if he's in the valley, um, when he makes the vow, then he has to wait until, then he has to wait um, until they start the wheat harvest in the valley before he could start drinking. Someone says, I'm not going to drink wine until the rains or until there will be rains. In that case, he has to wait until the second rainfall because he used the plural until the rains. So he has to wait for the second rainfall and then he can drink wine. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, shel says, until the time of the second rainfall arrives, when it usually does, it doesn't actually have to rain. He meant the general time, right? Whatever uh, month the second rain usually comes in. So he just has to wait until then. In other words, it's a set time on the calendar. And uh, if it happens to be that, you know, if there's a drought and there's no rain for a long time, he doesn't have to wait that long. If someone says, I'm not going to have wine until the rain ends, then he has to wait till Nisan finishes, right? Because that's still the rain season until the very end of Nisan. Still, sometimes it rains. According to the Bimeir, the Biuda says, no, not all the way till the end of, of Nisan, just until the end of Pesach, which is a few days earlier.
we'll begin the first one. Baraita Tanya. Hanoder al hakayit bagaliel v'yarad la'amakim. Avapish yagiyakayit ba'amakim. Asurad sheyagiyakayit bagaliel. If someone made a vow regarding, said, I'm not going to have wine until the summer. In, and he's in the Galil when he makes that vow. And then he was he went to the valley, right? He set it up in the Galil, and then he moved to the valley afterwards, even though the time of the summer came earlier in the in the valley, nevertheless he's still prohibited from having wine until the summer uh, uh, harvest arrives in the Galil. Why? As the Mishnah said, everything follows the time of the uh, the place of the vow, wherever you made the vow. So since he made the vow while he was in the Galil, so then he has to wait until the summer comes in the Galil. And it doesn't matter that he traveled somewhere afterwards. Baruch Adonai Amen